0: Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse by verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit HopeChurchLV.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Good morning, Hope Church family. It's so good to see you. If I've never gotten the chance to meet you, my name is Trenton. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to invite all of us to open our Bibles to Mark chapter 7 as we continue in our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Mark. We'll be there in just a moment, but as we begin, I want to ask you a question. It's a simple question, but I believe it's a significant one. And here's the question. When God looks at you, what does he see? Like when he looks down from glory and looks at you in your life, what does he see? I don't mean does he see necessarily your your physical presence, your body, how tall you are, what color hair you have. No, when he looks at you, the real you, what we learned last week is your heart. When God looks at you, what does he see? Have you ever considered that question before? You know, the scriptures actually tell us that when God looks at us, when he looks at our heart, he actually is looking for something in particular. But that begs the question, if God really is looking for something in particular, what is it? Well, I wanna suggest to you today that when God is looking at your heart, he's searching For something very specific, something so special but so rare in our world, something so valuable that you can't put a price tag on it, something that when you have this in your heart, it makes life better and you better at life. But what is God looking for? Well, Jesus tells us exactly what he's looking for in Luke chapter 18. Check this out. Jesus, speaking about when he's gonna come back again to earth in his second coming, look what he says. He says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find, everybody say it with me? Faith. Faith. Faith on earth. Faith is such a Christian word. It's something that I think we take for granted if we're being honest, but as we begin this morning, I wanna ask the question, what is faith? If that's what Jesus is looking for in our hearts, What is it exactly? Well, thankfully, the scriptures help us again because the Bible gives us a definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Here's what the author says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction, the belief, the trust of things not seen. This is a biblical definition of faith. I love what Pastor Tony Evans, how he describes and defines faith. He says, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. (laughs) So often when I have conversations with friends and family and we're walking through difficulty or we're walking through trial or something like that, often the, the conversation comes to a point where we just eventually look at each other and we say, friend, Do we believe God is telling the truth or not? Do we really believe the scriptures are true? Do we really believe that what God said he was going to accomplish, he really accomplished? And if that's true, then we can trust him for all of our days. Do we really, really live like this book is true? When we are, that's what God calls faith. Now, why do I begin that way today? I begin that way because today we're gonna read a story about a remarkable woman. A remarkable woman who has a remarkable faith, and her faith blows Jesus away. But spoiler alert, in this story, I just want to let you know, this might be shocking to you, but this woman comes to Jesus with a need, and like we've studied in the Gospel of Mark this whole time, Jesus meets her need, okay? Jesus, in this story, is going to honor this woman's faith. But as we study this passage this morning, I don't wanna just ask the question, what kind of faith does God honor? I want us to study this story to try to find an answer to this question. What kind of faith honors him? Not just what kind of characteristics of faith does God honor and bless and respond to, but rather what kind of faith honors him in his character? The question we're really gonna ask is, how can you and I, with our faith, in our faith, honor and exalt Jesus in our lives? I don't know about you, but I wanna be a man of faith. I wanna be a man that when people encounter me, from the very first moment, they know and trust that I know and trust this book. More specifically, the God of this book. I wanna be somebody that when you encounter me, your faith gets strengthened. Your faith gets deepened. Why? Because living with faith makes life better, but living with faith also makes you better at life. And so we're going to study this story this morning in Mark chapter 7. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Ready. Man, you are ready. I like this service. Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 24, just we're picking up right after Pastor Tom's message last week when Jesus had just taught his disciples about what really makes us unclean, and we're gonna pick it up in verse 24. The scripture says, And from there Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. Say that 10 times fast. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is God's word. And this is the story we're gonna study for a few minutes this morning. But what's really going on in this story? Well, Jesus here is traveling. He's traveling into a region called Tyre and Sidon. This region is a Gentile region. This is significant because Jesus is exiting Jewish borders. He is entering into a region that most Jewish people would consider unclean. Like Jewish people do not go to this place. Why? Because you're gonna encounter Gentiles. Now remember, this is significant from Jesus. Why is it significant? It's significant because Jesus had just got done teaching. Listen, it doesn't matter where you are, where you go, what you encounter on the outside. That stuff's not what makes you unclean. What makes you unclean is your heart. It's what comes from the inside. And almost as a way of proving it, Jesus is gonna go to this Gentile region and prove to the Pharisees, listen, not only am I gonna go to this environment and remain clean, I'm actually gonna bless someone who you consider unclean. And so Jesus interacts with this woman upon getting there. Before he interacts with the woman, the text tells us that he goes there to try to get away, to try to be hidden, to try to, most scholars think, probably get some rest finally. I don't know if you've been following with us, but if you've been following with us, the past few weeks, ever since the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus keeps trying to get some rest and the people won't let up. And the same thing is true in this story. He goes into this Gentile region and his fame has spread so that as soon as he enters into this area, everybody knows he's here. And when Jesus shows up, stuff begins to happen. Side note, just very quickly. We believe from this story, what we see here is that when Jesus shows up physically, he begins to change the atmosphere a little bit. But Hope Church, need I remind you, we also believe that to be true spiritually that when Jesus shows up, spiritually speaking, when he, what theologians would call, reveals himself or manifests his presence to us. In other words, he reveals that he really is here. When God does that, he shakes things up every single time. And I just wanna remind you, just quick side note, not part of the sermon, quick side note, but this is the goal every single time we gather, Kyle. Every single time we gather, we don't gather here ultimately just to check off a box that we came to church this week. We don't gather ultimately just to sing some songs and to hear a message of some guy screaming at you for 40 minutes. We ultimately don't even come here just to simply learn some good things about God. Ultimately, we gather every single week to encounter the very presence of God. Why, here's why. Because we believe with all of our heart that everything changes in the presence of God. You could walk in here today expecting just to learn some stuff today and have your life radically transformed by the presence of Jesus today, that's my prayer for you. This is why we gather, to encounter God. But Jesus, upon showing up in this area, he meets a desperate parent. She was desperate, if you consider her situation, you know exactly why she's desperate. She's desperate because she's got a very deep need. Her daughter has been possessed by a demon, and she comes to him and begs him to cast the demon out. Jesus, upon hearing this, initially doesn't cast the demon out, and we'll talk about why in in just a little bit. He doesn't immediately cast the demon out. He then gives some weird statement about children and dogs and children's food, and we'll understand that in just a little bit here, too, but this woman is persistent. She keeps going. And she asks again and then eventually in response to this woman's faith, Jesus casts out the demon of her daughter and her daughter is made well. This is essentially what's happening in this story. But as we begin to study it this morning, here's the question that we're asking ourselves. Remember this. We're asking the question, what kind of faith does this woman have? What kind of faith does this woman demonstrate that is honored by God? And I wanna give you the answer right here in our sermon in the sentence. Here's the answer to that question. The faith that Jesus honors is the faith that honors him. The faith that Jesus honors in this story is a faith, is the faith that honors him. In other words, Jesus does not honor faith that does not honor him. So what is it about this woman's faith in particular that God honors, and what is it about God in particular that is honored by her faith? So I'm gonna give you, in the time remaining, three key characteristics of a faith that honors God. That's true of this woman, and I pray and hope it's true of you and I as well. And here's the first key characteristic. Number one, a faith that honors God is a faith that acts. Got quiet. Notice that upon Jesus entering this region, this woman immediately springs into action. There was something about this woman that believed that Jesus was someone worth going to in her desperate hour. That belief, that faith, if you will, moved her towards action. Let's look at verse 25 for just a moment. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, And came and fell down at his feet. Every single one of those highlighted words are in the active voice in the Greek language. Meaning that these were all things that this woman did. She was active, not passive. It says she heard about him. She came to him and then she fell at his feet. See, we don't know how this woman heard about Jesus. Maybe a friend let her know. Maybe a family member told her that Jesus was in town. It really doesn't matter how she heard. What only matters is that she heard, and that her hearing of him gave her a spark of hope that motivated her to come to Jesus. See, people in this region had heard of Jesus' miracles and his ministry, and she some way and somehow heard about this and it motivated her to move. It was active. How did she move? It says she came to him. See, Jesus was near her in that region, but her desperation led her to draw nearer to him. And this is what our faith does. Faith and trusting and believing that the scriptures are true, that God really is who he says he is, that's what faith does, is it causes us and draws us to move closer to Jesus and once she got to him it says she fell at his feet it's the idea of this woman being literally face down on the ground prostrate before Jesus and when you put all of this together this is a picture of a woman's desperate but active faith see here's a question for us to consider When is the last time our faith in God motivated us to act this way? Like when was the last time we were so aware of our true desperation for Jesus that it led us to fall on our faces before him? I can just imagine people watching this woman in this story. Can you imagine the scene? This woman gets told Jesus is here and she immediately springs into action. And she's like, I gotta find him, I gotta find him. And someone says, he, he's, he just went into that house over there. And so she starts running through the city. Maybe she's rushing past people in the marketplace, hitting them on the side of the shoulder a little bit as she runs by. And people are like, what is happening? What is going on? What's going on here? Why is this woman running, running, running? And then eventually, with tears running down her face, she sees Jesus, and when she gets to Jesus, her first response is to fall on her face before him. I can imagine people watching this scene thinking, Isn't this woman a little crazy? Like, I know this woman has a need and she thinks this guy can help, but like, isn't what she's doing just a little too dramatic? Can you imagine it? See, I don't really know if people reacted that way to her. But I'm pretty confident and pretty certain that if this story was taking place in our day and this woman was in turn one of us and we acted this way in front of Jesus, I'm pretty sure people would look at us that way today. People would be going, listen, I know you've got a need and I know you think that apart from Jesus, your life is nothing, but how you're reacting and how you're acting, this is a little dramatic. Can you calm down just a little bit? Can you keep your faith a little less active and and maybe a little more private, please. Your faith is just too much. But see, this woman, it didn't matter for this woman. And it shouldn't matter to us. Why? Because the man that we're following is worth every bit of our lives. And it doesn't matter at all what other people think of us. Why? Because the only opinion that matters is what he thinks of us. A faith that acts. When was the last time we got looked at funny because we've taken our faith so seriously and we believe Jesus so deeply? When is the last time you and I risked our reputation because our faith in Jesus was so deep and strong that it motivated us to act? The other thing that I just love about this woman's faith is just how quickly she acted in faith. In verse 25 it says, and immediately, immediately, immediately upon hearing of Jesus, she moved. Immediately upon hearing that he was here, she moved towards him. Here's a question. How quick are we to respond in faith in the midst of our own difficulty? See, if I'm being honest, when I asked myself that question this week in sermon prep, how quick am I to respond in faith running to Jesus in the midst of my difficulty, in the midst of my troubling circumstances. If I'm just being honest, that question was so convicting to me. Because for me, and maybe you're like me, for me, most of the time when I'm faced with difficulty and struggle and suffering and trials, my first response isn't faith, usually it's fear. And what I end up doing, instead of running to Jesus, is I run to anything and everything else. I start running to my friends for help, I start running to my parents for wisdom, I start running to logic and problem solving skills and I start thinking, man, what can I do to fix this situation? And then once all of that fails, then I go, okay, maybe I'll go to Jesus. Am I the only one? See, and I just have to ask myself that question. Man, if, if that's my reaction, if that's my action, what does that say about my own heart? Meaning, If that's my reaction every time, do I subconsciously believe that I can do more about my situation than Jesus can? In other words, do I have more faith in me or other people than I do in Jesus himself? This woman, in the immediate, upon hearing that Jesus was here, she ran to him. She ran to him. How quick are we to respond in faith? But here's the question. What in specific about God was she honoring when she responds with this act of faith? Well, I wanna to submit to you that she was honoring God's authority in this story. In particular, she was honoring God's authority over the demonic in this story. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus himself tells us that he has all authority. Look at it in Matthew chapter 28. I love this. This is right before Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And he grounds this commission in this reality. Here's what he says. All authority. I'm gonna make a pastor joke, wait for it. You know what all means in the Greek? Amen. Let's go. <laughs> All authority, every bit of it. But where is his authority exercised? Here it is. In heaven and on earth. See, we believe God has all authority in the kingdom of heaven, don't we? We really believe that when it comes to glory, when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, up there, yeah, he's got all the authority, he's in charge there. But some of us, if we're being honest, we think he's got authority up there, but someone or something else has authority down here. Maybe the devil, he's got authority. He's running this world. You look at this world and you're going, man, what's happening with this world? And you look at Las Vegas, the city we live in, and we go, man, clearly God's not an authority here. Somebody else is. And what Jesus is saying is no, 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 no. In the same way, I've got every bit of authority in the kingdom of heaven. I've got every bit of authority here on earth. Meaning that Jesus has just as much authority in Las Vegas as he does in heaven. He's got just as much authority in your life as he does in heaven. He is in charge and this woman's faith was honoring to God's authority. How? He, she was honoring that at the end of the day, this demon was not in authority over her daughter. Jesus was. Friends, rejoice and act in faith, why? Because your storm, your disease, your challenges, your struggles are not in ultimate authority, Jesus's. See, this woman's active faith in Jesus, it it was a faith that recognized, honored, and rejoiced in the reality that he is in authority over all things, meaning that the devil and his demons are nothing more than dogs on a leash in the hands of an all-authoritative God. He can pull them back at any moment he wants. An active faith. Number two, a faith that honors God is also a faith that persists. A faith that persists. I love this. Look at verse 26. Verse twenty. there it is. <laughs> now the woman was a Gentile a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him, begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. The way this phrase, begged him, is written in the Greek language. It's written in such a way to mean this. She didn't just ask him once. She kept on asking it's an imperfect verb, meaning it wasn't a one and done ask. It was a persistence, a continual asking of Jesus. Jesus, would you please cast the demon out? Would you please do it? Would you please heal my daughter? She kept asking Jesus. She was persistent. And notice that she wasn't persistent for herself. She was persistent for the sake of someone else, namely her daughter. She kept asking Jesus. She kept presenting this other person's need, her daughter's need before Jesus, and she was persistent in that. She presented herself before God on behalf of someone else's needs. And we do this today, though differently, we do this today. We just call it something different. We call it intercession. Intercession, or intercessory prayer. It's a kind of prayer where you, as a friend or a family member or someone, knows somebody else's needs, and you take that need upon yourself and you put it before God on behalf of that other person. You say, God, bless, meet these needs on behalf of my brother, my sister, or my family member, or whoever it may be. This intercessory prayer. And we do this because God has chosen to use the prayers of others to meet needs on their behalf, on our behalf. This has always been how God works. You know, as I was thinking about that this week, one of the things that, that if I think about, I honestly get so emotional thinking about, but one of the things that I believe I'm going to find out when I get into the kingdom of heaven one day in glory, I believe that I'm going to find out that maybe, just maybe, most of the good in my life is due to the prayers of other people on behalf of my life. Have you ever considered that about you? Have you ever considered and and become so grateful, thinking about the reality that that the good and the blessing and the gifts that God has given you may be the result of somebody else's prayers on your behalf? Parents, clear application. What if most of the good that's gonna come in our children's life is going to come as the result of our prayers on our children's behalf? This is exactly what this woman is doing and she's persistent. She's not gonna ask once and give up. She's gonna keep on asking. God has always chosen to use the persistent prayers of his people to bring blessing in the lives of people. And one of the ways that we practice a persistent faith is through what we've just been talking about, persistent prayer. Persistent prayer, and I wanna take this opportunity very quickly just to invite every single one of you tonight to join us for our prayer gathering. If you have not joined us at our prayer gathering now on 6.30s uh, on Sunday nights monthly, I wanna encourage you, I wanna invite you, please come. Listen, God delights to answer the prayers of his people. And that we have such a special time every single day. Month. God delights to answer the prayers of his people. And we know this because this is exactly what Jesus teaches us in Luke chapter 18. This is where we began, but let's, let's look at this verse again. This is a story of Jesus teaching his disciples a parable about why we should be people who continually persist in prayer. Listen to this story. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, (laughs) I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down anymore by her continual coming. That's the end of the parable. Now Jesus is teaching. And Jesus said, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect, to his followers, to his children, who cry to him day and night persistently? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on Notice, in Jesus' mind, Jesus sees a very clear connection between someone's faith and their persistence in prayer. Jesus is teaching these disciples and teaching us this truth. Think about this. Consider the parable. If an unrighteous judge, a judge who is described as being somebody who doesn't fear God or care about people... If that kind of person, after persistently being asked and asked and asked and asked and asked, if that kind of person, and he gives in, think about this, if it's true about that kind of man, how much more true is it of our heavenly father who loves you with a love that would blow you away if you really understood it? He loves you so much. If an unrighteous judge will give in to that, how much more then will our righteous king give to his children? It's an argument about the character of God, but he's inviting us to persist in prayer. But let's just be honest. (laughs) Let's just be honest. When it comes to persistence, we would rather not be persistent. We would rather just have God give us exactly what we ask for the moment we ask of it. But what we've learned from the scriptures is that God's timing is not our timing, that God's ways are not always our ways. And so we wonder, though, why, though, God, why are you making me persist and keep asking? Even in this story of this woman, she had to keep asking. Jesus didn't immediately cast the demon out of her daughter. And so why is that? One pastor named J.D. Greer, he's reflecting on this reality, and here's what he says about it. Why would God work that way? Why not give what we ask for the first time? He says, I have a guess. I think God responds like this because he is glorified through our persistent boldness. By pounding on God's door, praying, and refusing to give up, we declare our confidence in the goodness and power of God. The more the pounding, the greater the declaration of confidence. I want to encourage you, Hope Church family, whatever your situation is, keep praying. Keep praying. Keep pressing in, because in doing so, you are declaring to God and to everyone else who's watching your life that you believe and trust in and have faith that God really is good and that only he can meet your needs. You are glorifying to him in that moment. Your persistence in prayer is proof of your belief in the promises and power of God. Listen, I know some of you. I know some of your stories. You have prayed for things a thousand different times. You've prayed for a thousand times and God hasn't answered it yet, but I just wanna encourage you. 1,001 might be the one he answers. I don't know why he does it that way, but keep on praying. Why? Listen, an unanswered prayer, an unanswered prayer from God is just an invitation from God to deeper intimacy with God. When he's not answering your prayer, all he's saying to you is keep asking, keep coming to me. When we persist in prayer, even in the absence of an answer, all we're doing is getting closer to Jesus. And what harm is that? Listen, Hope Church, I wanna just encourage you for a second and challenge you. Do not, do not, do not let the absence of an answered prayer lead you into cynicism. We live in a culture right now that is so cynical, it's so skeptical and doubtful. And if we swim in that culture long enough, one of the things that's gonna happen is we're gonna get indoctrinated to be cynical about everything. And if we have a moment where we look at an unanswered prayer, that's an opportunity in our flesh to go, wait a minute, in light of this, that must mean God's not for me and it's gonna lead you straight into cynicism, and then cynicism is gonna lead you straight into doubt, and if you doubt long enough what's eventually gonna happen, it's gonna lead to the deconstruction of your faith. And I just wanna encourage you, don't let an unanswered prayer lead you to cynicism, let it lead you into more faith. Let it lead you to pressing in all the more, why? Because as you press in, you just get closer to Jesus, you're glorifying to him. Why? Because the faith that Jesus honors is the faith that honors him. We persist in our prayer. But how do we handle this? How do we handle the reality that we might have unanswered prayer and we're growing weary? Here's how we handle it. We handle it exactly the same way Jesus did. Do you know that Jesus also had unanswered prayer? The Son of God had unanswered prayer. Do you remember the story? Jesus is praying in the garden of Gethsemane, and he's, sweating drops of blood because he's in anguish over the reality that he knows he's about to be betrayed by one of his closest friends, turned over to the Roman government, beaten and tortured and eventually hanging on the cross for the salvation of everyone who would believe. And Jesus is in prayer before God the Father and he says to God, God, if there's any other way for me to accomplish the salvation of everyone who would ever believe, if there's any other way for me to do that, without having to go to that cross and deal with that pain, if there's any other way, let that be the way. And you know what God gets on the other end of that? Jesus gets silence. He gets silence from God. But here's what Jesus does. In that moment, he finishes his prayer by saying, but not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus in that moment He couldn't trace the father's hand in answering his prayer, but he knew he could trust his father's heart. And that's what enabled him to persist, to endure, to go, and thank God he did, thank God he did. God is honored by and honors persistent faith. Now, this is where we get to the very unique part of this story, okay? So let's read it, and then we can talk about it as we get to point three and then finish up. Here's what Jesus says, and he said to her, in response to all of this, an active faith, even in a persistent faith, here's what he says. Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What? Jesus, why are you bringing children and dog food into this? what What are we talking about? But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. To really understand what's happening here, to, to really get it, we've gotta understand some cultural background. See, we read this and we think this is very insensitive of Jesus. But to understand this, we've gotta understand that one of the most offensive things you could call somebody in the first century was a dog, was a dog. Jews would call Gentiles dogs as, in a, as a very, very offensive term and it was offensive because dogs most dogs in that culture were ravenous scavengers. You didn't have them in your house like we do. You didn't pet them, you didn't touch them. They were they were disgusting and despised by the culture. But here's what's very interesting here. Jesus when he says it's not right for the the dogs to eat the children's food, Jesus does not use the normal term for dog here. In fact, what he uses is another word, and it's actually the word for puppy, (laughs) or better translated, little dog. See, there were other dogs in this culture. These were the dogs like you and I have. This is your little Fluffy. This is your little Bam Bam that sleeps in your bed every night and and eats all the food at your dinner table. This This is like our house pets. This is the dogs we love, okay? And that's the word Jesus uses here. I've got a dog, his name's Copper. I thought about putting a picture up of Copper today, but I decided you guys would want him too much, and then my, my sons would be really sad when I gave him away to you. Um, but Copper's lived with us for about seven years. He's, we don't know what kind of dog he is. We really have no idea. We think he's, a, he's for sure a mutt, but we think he's got some chihuahua in him. So it's like, uh, um, I love my dog. But um, Copper, Copper's life got exponentially better when we had kids. <laughs> Like, his life got so much better. He started putting on more weight, if you know where I'm going. <laughs> See, when, when we had kids, and we would put Drake and Jax in their high chairs, and they would eat, you know, kids are messy. They're like throwing stuff and whatever. And Copper knew that when Drake and Jax got put in their high chair, it was time for him to have a five-star meal. <laughs> and so Copper would go up to the high chair, and he just couldn't wait to eat the crumbs. See, copper would get his food here, and he got it because because he's in our home as a little puppy. he, He gets to share in the goods, if you will, right? And see, this is exactly the woman's understanding of this cultural comment that Jesus makes here. This is exactly how she understands it. She says to Jesus in response to his statement, you're right, Lord, this is who I am, yet... Even little dogs get to eat the crumbs off the children's plate. See, Jesus had a ministry plan. His ministry plan was to go to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. Go read it in Romans chapter one, verse 16. So his plan and his ministry was to go to the Jewish people to provide salvation for them and then eventually work his way to the Gentiles. And according to the timeline here, that isn't the time yet for that to happen. And yet this woman, it doesn't stop her. Knowing she's a Gentile, knowing she's a woman low on the status pole in that culture, she continues, continues to ask, continues to be persistent, and understanding her role, understanding who Jesus was and what he was com- coming to do, she still asks. And what does that teach us? Here's what it teaches. It teaches us, number three, that the faith that honors God is also a faith that is humble. It's a faith that's Humble. Because she here was willing to accept whatever Jesus gave her. When it says that she begged him, begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter, it's written in the subjective mood, meaning that she wasn't commanding Jesus to do anything. She was simply asking Jesus to do something. In other words, she was giving Jesus the freedom to choose to do it or not to do it. But also, because of her position in culture, or let's be honest, her lack of position, it didn't stop her from coming to Jesus. She knew who Jesus was, she knew who she was, and she came to Jesus that way. You know, it's been said about humility that humility isn't thinking less about yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. In other words, humility is not about having a lower view of yourself than reality. It's about having a right view of yourself that accords to reality. See, and this woman was humble. She knew who she was. She knew who Jesus was, and in her humble faith, she was honoring God for his sovereignty, very closely related to his authority. She was recognizing and honoring that God, you are king. You can do whatever you want. You are sovereign, you do all that you please, but here, here is still my humble request. You have the the ability to choose to do it or not. You see, in light of who God is and who she is, she knew Jesus could answer this prayer in whatever way he wanted. And so she submitted and trusted herself to him. It reminds me of how Charles Spurgeon used to pray. Charles Spurgeon was a 19th century pastor, and his prayer model was very, very simple. Here's how he would pray. He'd say to the Lord, Lord, here's what I feel in all of its rawness. In light of what I'm feeling, in light of what I'm thinking, here's God what I want in all its honesty. But then here's how he'd finish his prayer every single time. But God, if what I want is not what you want, I pray that you would forget what I just asked. Not my will, but your will be done. This is a humble faith. This is a faith that recognizes, God, you're God. You are king. I'm your creation. I'm, I'm the clay in the potter's hand. You can do with me whatever you want. But God, here's what I feel. Here's what I think. Here's what I want. But God, if what I want is not what you want, I trust you because you know better than I do. So not my will, but your will be done. I've mentioned this to you before, but we can do this. Why? Because if you and I knew all that God knew, saw all that God saw, we would answer our prayers in the exact same way he does for us. This is a humble faith, a submitted faith. And how does God respond to all of this? How does God Honor this woman's faith. Here's what he does, verse 29 and 30. He says, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Gone. Gone forever. Never to return. The way this word gone is written, it's written to communicate that the de- demon has departed from her life in such a way that people couldn't even tell that it had been there before. I mean, it is that far gone. The demon left nothing behind. See, when faith that honors God is present, God honors that faith. Demons get cast out, illnesses are healed, marriages are restored, churches are built, and movements are created. This is what's possible if we live by faith in Jesus. As I look around this room, I see a bunch of individuals who have a ton of deep needs. Marriages are in shambles. You got sickness, cancer, financial difficulties, job challenges, and so much more. We could never name all the needs. But I wanna encourage you this morning that even in the middle of that, to have a faith that honors God, to have a faith that's active, to have a faith that's persistence, to have a faith that's humble, And I'm calling all of us this morning to a response time of significant prayer, of coming before God and going, God, here's my needs. Here's what I want. But God, if what I want is not what you want, I trust your character. Not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray, let's call upon our heavenly Father this morning. What what might God do this morning? But also, there's some of us in the room this morning, and maybe those needs that I just mentioned, you don't have. But you're here and you actually have a much deeper need. And your deeper need is that you need to be reconciled to God. You need to begin a relationship with Jesus. I wanna invite you today to come to Jesus. That today would be the day of your salvation, that you would surrender the control of your life to Jesus by faith. What we've seen this morning is that the darkness and the demonic cannot touch Jesus, but we also know because of the gospel, neither can death. Neither can death, why? Because Jesus defeated death forever by hanging on a cross, dying, and then saying, death, you can't hold on to me any longer, I'm rising from the grave, I'm rising to new life, and he has invited anybody who would put their faith and trust in Jesus that they also can defeat death, why? Because Jesus has done it for us. This is the invitation of the gospel, to new life in Christ. And you have an opportunity today to do that, to place your faith in Jesus. And I wanna encourage all of us who have not done that to do that. If you need to be saved today, please, we're gonna have pastors down here. We would love to talk to you and introduce you to the person of Jesus. Lord, we love you. God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your promises. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would be people of faith that we would really live like what you've said is true, that it would change us from the inside out. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here who have needs. God, I pray that they would come before you, maybe come down to this altar, maybe turn their chair into an altar, whatever it is, God, I pray that we would, we would call out to you in persistent prayer, asking for you to meet our needs. God, I pray for people who need to come to know you. God, would people come to know you? Would they trust in you and, and put their faith in you today? Jesus, we love you. We love you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond this morning.